KXNO. Ken Miller, Trent Condon. They are Miller and Condon on Des Moines Sports Station, 1460 KXNO. All right, good morning, everybody, and welcome in. It's Miller and Condon. We're on Des Moines Sports Station, 1460 KXNO. Glad you're with us. Hope you can stay with us for the next couple of hours. If you can't, and if you're so inclined, you can always go back and listen uh, to the podcast of a particular guest or a particular segment. You'll find those later on at kxno.com on the podcast page. Uh, coming up today, we'll get Alex Halstead in here for the final time on Iowa State, at least for the time being. Uh, we will uh, put a capper on on football with Alex, get his take on uh, perhaps different from uh, Dylan, who joined us earlier in the week. and. Uh, he was late in the program, so we'll do Alex Halstead early here in about 20 minutes. We'll get his thoughts on that. Cam Lard is officially, well, we knew he was leaving, but he's uh, going uh, to hire an agent and is going to be play, playing professionally uh, somewhere. So we'll do some Iowa State uh, stuff uh, with Alex Halstead 24-7 sports. We're going to stay with the 24-7 theme. Tim Yotter writes for VikingUpdate.com. He's the publisher over there. He'll join us. We've taken a look earlier in the week at the Chiefs. Chiefs with Nick Athen. Yesterday, the Packers with Dave Sinekin. Today, it's the Vikings in the spotlight. Tim Yotter on what they will do potentially. Should things fall their way uh, when their pick 18 comes around tomorrow uh, in the first round of the NFL draft. Tim Yotter, 1045. We missed Cappy today due to unforeseen circumstances. Well, mine. Uh, but we'll save that for <laughs> another day. Um, technical issues. Technical difficulties. Technical yes. difficulties. So we'll get Cappy later in the week. But in his place, we'll have Jordan Burnfield today because I wanted to talk Cubs. I know you did. And I could tell your frustration. Oh, I was pissed off. Did you see Javi Baez last? Is he the most... How would you describe... He's not the best no, player No, is he the most entertaining player in baseball? He's on that list. Right. And he might be at the top of the Did list. Did you see the play at yes. first base, the juke of David Freeze? But that's not even the part I think is the best part. I mean, that's ridiculous in its own right. Right. But him just busting ass getting out of the box. Yep. I mean, and applying the brakes as quickly as he did. He gets out of there, and he, he's still even like holding on to the bat. It's weird watching him yeah. get out of the box. Right. But you could tell he, it's not, uh, not grounded out. It's over. Nope. He gets out there right away. He busts up the line, hits the brakes, little sidestep, and gets to first base. Yeah, and it wasn't even close, and Freeze just <laughs> knew. He, looked, I, I, he got me. Yeah, right. <laughs> Put the ball in his pocket, and uh, look, it's seemingly Trent. They play 162 of them. I'm not sure how many he'll play, 150, whatever. It's seemingly, it's not every night, but boy, it's close that he does something. Whether it's on the Bates Paths or with his glove in his hand or getting a big hit or leaving the ballpark with one as he did yesterday in the seventh inning, he's as entertaining a player as they're in baseball for me. Flying a tag. And, and it seems like he's the kind of guy, the big moments, he's good in. Yeah. You want you want him up there, yep. two on, down by a run. You want him... Being the guy that is the cutoff man, a guy chugging home, and him had have to th- make that throw. Whatever it may be, right. you want him on the base pass just because he is that guy. He is dynamic. He can make plays all over the field. He's a complete baseball player. You know, Bryce Harper is another guy that I think people would consider entertaining. Mm-hmm. The bat flip. Jack, Jake Arrieta, maybe not so much. It's very true. But he's, a, he's another guy that flaunts it. Has yeah. has personality adds personality That's to the game. That's a great way of describing it, and, and the game needs that. Yes, and and Javi is one of those guys. As Javi Baez, 
I know he's got into it a time or two. I think a guy that has a little bit of that in him, a little flair that's going to bother some people in the game. Yeah. You'd I rather don't think he's it's overbearing, on your team. though. Do you think it's overbearing no, or overwhelming? Not one bit. But again, I appreciate what he does. Yeah. So so maybe I'm looking at it. Maybe if I was a, a Cardinal fan or a Brewer <laughs> fan or That's you know, a different conversation. Maybe, yeah. maybe, maybe it would be, but God he entertains the hell out of me. He really and truly does. And last night he was at it again. So we'll do that and so is Cantana. Three in a row. That's unbelievable, Trent. He was terrific. In his final inning, uh, the seventh inning, uh, called strike and swinging strikeout. First and third outs of his seventh inning last night. Good for him. Uh, you know, with the, with the, with the exception of, uh, of you, Darvish, yeah. they're paying a boatload of money to. The starters have been pretty damn good, including Tyler Chatwood, who got a start. So Jordan Burnfield's going to slide on in here at 11.15, based in Chicago, formerly WGN, uh, now with ESPN. Uh, we'll get his take on uh, on the Cubs last night as they get to above 500. That division is incredibly tight. How about the Redbirds knocking off the Brewers again last night? And as you said in your update, and I guess I didn't realize this, uh, Percentage-wise, best record in in the National League, your St. Louis Cardinals. 14-9, and nine, and after a week into the season, the overreactions that both of us had, and though we threw the caveat well, we that... We have to say something. It would be boring if we <laughs> right, didn't. Right. But it felt like the Cubs could never figure out that bullpen. <laughs> yeah. They, well, yeah. They were, they were toast. Mm-hmm. Milwaukee's out there just throttling people. Yeah. And, and haters Yelich, unhittable. Haters unhittable. Christian Yelich is... Hitting home runs seemingly right. every time St. Louis has to see him. Well, they've at least slowed him down mm-hmm. just a little bit here. This Cardinals team is really good. They're yeah. really good. The organization is so well. You knew they weren't going to be down for long. It's just, it's the Cardinals. Death taxes and the Cardinals in the playoffs seem to be a moniker for the longest time, and maybe that thing is back this year. So uh, some good baseball last night. Mm-hmm. And then we're going to wrap things up with uh, Mark Morehouse. He was at the uh, press availabilities yesterday. Phil Parker and Brian Ferentz uh, met with the media as the Hawks get set to wrap things up on Friday. Is their final practice? Friday is the final practice. The media gets an open portion. I don't know if it's <clears throat> the whole practice or just a, a little bit surprised. towards the end. Yes. I think it's going to be more than the 20 minutes they normally get at the beginning Good. because I believe the, the availability then will happen afterwards with the, coach with the coaches yeah. And, yeah. and players that will be there for that part of it. So I guess maybe they'll get an hour look, something mm-hmm. like that. be awesome if they could get some scrimmage time there. Right. Get to actually see these guys sure. in action instead of open practice. There's no kids' day. There's no nothing Help we get to August. This is the last chance of any kind of glimpse for yeah. just even the media types. Yeah, and you remember what happens in August? The, the one thing we look so forward to, at least I do, and I'm sure you're the same way. I believe I speak for you in this case. Uh, when the Big Ten media, uh, the Big Ten network crews roll through mm-hmm. and yes. we get that practice and we get to glean some things instead of trying to look at still photos and see formations and who's lining up beside who. Ah, one of the joys of fall, one of the rights of fall is trying to figure out what's going on in Ames and Iowa City with the respective football programs that it is it's uh not only that but you also the still pictures yeah, you go yeah to, right you go to cyclones.com or hawkeyesports.com people just go nuts about yeah, these who's things. lining up on the right side he looks fast that's <laughs> my favorite picture <laughs> yeah he, he looks really fast I, it I just bet. but we're hopeful any little morsel no, nugget of information. Feed the beast, right? Yes. Feed the beast in both schools. Uh, so look forward to today's program. I think I think we've got a lot of good guests despite the fact we didn't get Cappy, but we will later on uh, in the week. Trent, we had a couple of Game 7s in the NHL last night. One, and God, I wish I could have seen it. I just, I got to figure out how to, I, I got to stay up later. 
you, you're, it's getting to that, and especially this time of year. Yeah. But I'm it's still I'm sick as a dog still, and I apologize to the audience for I'm going to cough in your ear while I'm in the microphone. It's going to end up in your ear. I'm going to try not to or sneeze or something. I came back with the uh, the worst. I haven't had a cold in years. Really? Yeah, but I drink all this you know juice and stuff, and then I look at it because I'm fighting with this right on the cusp of type two. Okay. Yeah. Yep. So I'm watching my sugars, and mm-hmm. so I've had to cut out all the stuff, and boom, I cut out the I call it health juice, and sick as a dog. Gets you some emergency, get that vitamin C coursing through the veins. I need something, but anyways, so I apologize in advance of doing that, but uh, you know, I just I couldn't stay up, and and as crazy of a situation, I've never seen it before. I, I and then I'm talking about the Las Vegas San Jose ending, mm-hmm. things, particularly in the third period where Vegas and I don't feel bad for him at all, not one little bit. Nope, I, I really don't. I mean, the, the team is two years old, their first year in existence. We remind you they played for a Stanley Cup trophy for crying out loud. Washington thankfully beat them, and they're right back in it, in it uh, this year. You know the playoffs. They don't know what it's like to feel pain. Well, they do after last night because it was an awful call. It was a, it's a horrendous call, where um, one of the uh, one of the Golden Knights was assessed. Uh, Cody Eakin was assessed a five minute major, uh, which he shouldn't have been. It wasn't even a penalty. I don't even think it should have been a two minute penalty. Now I get it. You know if you're gonna if you're gonna get if you're gonna be a man down, well, kill the penalty. Don't give up four goals. I've never seen four goals in a major penalty before. I don't even remember. Junior hockey? No, I don't even think I've seen three goals scored in a five-minute major. Two is rare. Really rare. But four in a game seven, third period? Unheard of. Three, nothing lead. <laughs> yes. We're halfway through the third. Right, and, and it's not, yeah, like you score one two minutes into the into the third, and all right, here we go. This was... Vegas was home free. Coasting. yes. Uh, what is it on Twitter? Cold takes, freezing cold takes. Yeah, yeah. I, he had a lot of fun last night after the game. He was retweeting a lot of people that it's over. Golden Knights move yeah. on. Sharks another disappointing. Da, da, da. And here we are. I was watching it at a full. No, oh, you were. I was, and I didn't see the penalty. I flipped over. I was watching the NBA, and I flipped over when it got to three to one. Because so had Lillard made his shot at that point? No, he had not yet. Okay, no, that was in fact. Beginning that happened right at the beginning of overtime. Okay, is when that happened. So, Clicker was getting a workout last night, mm-hmm. but it, it was three one. I saw everybody freaking out about the call that you mentioned, and and my me personally because I just don't know hockey that well, I had forgot or just didn't realize that once you score a goal, normally two minute penalty yeah, power over. plays over, right? But for a five minute major, uh-huh. score as much as you want. That just keeps going. Yep, you're still a man down. I'm still a man down, and it goes. Yep. And I see a 3-2. And then mm-hmm. I watch a 3-3. Three, three, and, <laughs> and then 4-3. I'm, I'm not a hockey savant by any means. I, I barely know the sport. I enjoy playoff hockey. But that unfolding in that kind of Crazy. fashion, if you are a Vegas fan. Oh, you're gutted today. Oh, gutted. And then for, especially when the team comes back and ties it yes, with the yep. goalie pulled uh, to send it to overtime and then to lose in overtime. I mean, just just a gut. Punch, but that, oh well. That overtime, I, I watched that outside of watching the final shot from from Lillard, the final minute of that game. I watched the whole thing, edge of my seat. Was it? Were there a lot of chances both ways? No, the there Sharks wasn't, huh? dominated. Oh, did I mean, they? You know that that feeling I told you that I look at it with my novice knowing of hockey, where just the ice is tilted. Mm-hmm. It felt that way for really? the whole time. Vegas had a couple of chances, couple that went wide, but overall, 
the Sharks just dominated mm. the overtime period. I thought it was going to get into the second one, though, as it got later and later. Right. And it would flip back the other way. Alas, it didn't happen. Carlson, I think it was with the goal. and He set it up, I think. Yeah, that's right. right. He dropped it back. Yeah. And then I went to bed. It was a late night. So what time was this at? What uh, what time would I have had to stay up till? Probably 12.35, no, no yeah, something no like that. And then it was, and then I couldn't fall asleep. And then <laughs> it was probably one fifteen by the time I finally got the eyelids closed. But up early. We're raring to go. Indeed we are. Uh, speaking of raring to go, the Iowa Wild Redder to go. Game number three, they have a chance to sweep Milwaukee right out of the playoffs tomorrow in the first round of the Calder Cup. The next three, should they you know, need all three, Thursday, Friday, and then potentially game five on Monday night. But uh, Iowa just needs to win one out of the next three. It was great. Apparently all the brass from the Minnesota Wild, the the owner, the general manager, head coach Bruce Boudreaux, they all jumped on a, a plane uh, yesterday afternoon or prior to the game and made it down here for the game last night. And uh, the home folks went home with another resounding win. Meanwhile, uh, the Des Moines Buccaneers are putting the equipment away for the uh, for the season as they got swept in their own right. But uh, advanced, won a playoff yes, round they did. for the Bucks. Got to the semifinal. Good for them. Been a long had, time. They had had a rough go for yes. a number of years. Yes. And you can tell that organization is back on the right track there. Talked to a lot of people. Always fun to go out to Buccaneer Arena, and I think a real bright future going forward with that. I posed the question to you, neither of us knew the answer the other day, where the Wild are going. What part of Milwaukee? Oh, right. Where's the game at? Right. They play at UW-Milwaukee's arena. Okay. How many people does it sit, do you know? Uh, let's see if I can find it here on Wikipedia. I want to say like 10, right in that range, something like that. At 10,000. Not bad. No, not bad. Well, uh, the Wild have a chance to uh, punch their ticket to the next round. Wouldn't that be something if yes. playoff hockey continues? Uh, the the Iowa Cubs are home, and the reason I bring it up, well, a couple of reasons. I, I like the Iowa Cubs people over there, mm-hmm. um, and why wouldn't we talk about them? But Addison Russell is here. Uh, I don't know if he's going to play tonight. I'm not sure if there's going to be a media availability in advance of that, but he was on a plane out of Arizona yesterday. He is uh, somewhere in Des Moines here as we speak. Perhaps at the ballpark, whether he plays tonight, they're, they're home for what's well, a pretty lengthy homestand, is it not? Didn't I see was like, uh, boy, it's, they're, they're home for a while. So if you've got iCubs tickets or if you, you know, kind of wrestling around with maybe the iCubs on the agenda this weekend, pretty good chance uh, you're going to see a World Series winner in uh, Addison Russell downtown Des Moines over the next few days. He is a very talented guy, but the extras that go along with him, the domestic abuse allegations, everything else that, that has happened on that side of it makes it makes it difficult. Uh, to cheer for him, I agree. Yeah. Yep, I agree. You know, I, I was talking with a few people yesterday and just some things that I'd never heard before. Again, rumors and, yep. and nothing substantial that, that has been convicted or anything like that, but you just hear those things. Well, and, when you read the, reco- uh, the account from his wife at the time. Uh, yeah. Yes. Very difficult. It really is. It Very really difficult. Is. Yeah, but, I you know could, I don't know if best case for the organization they part ways with them, but mm-hmm. no, they brought in Araldis Chapman when they won the World Series. They did right, and he was uh, another batterer. Um, and this isn't just a Cubs thing. And no, them, sadly, this, no, it's not. It, it is across sports lines. Yep. There are people, and mm-hmm. from college, and we saw college football get wrapped up into the FBI scandal a little bit yesterday. To professional sports. Bad dudes, bad things happening, cheating, whatever it may be. I think anybody as a sports fan at times, you're going to have to... You're torn. You're going to have to decide. Uh Are you just going to root for the jersey, root for what's on front, root for the colors, or again, take a different kind of stand? And 
think a difficult dichotomy for sports fans at times. I and that's that's another one here with, with Russell in town. Yeah, couldn't agree with you more. Tough. Um, Sports wagering, I know that you and Chris talked a lot about it yesterday as you sat in for Ross on the Fanatics. Uh, the governor is kind of downplaying whether she's going to – look, she is. Um, I, I think she's probably placating the uh, the people that support her that aren't real welcoming of mm-hmm. this bill. And there's certainly those people out there. And, um, you know, I have every right to be, right? When uh, when any form of gambling expands, you're going to hear from both sides of it. You're going to you know, you're going to have your – just like with the Addison Russell, how you come down on that, how you come down on – wagering whether it's good whether it's bad and uh kim reynolds has the bill it will be in front of her there's just it's it's too big money wise for this thing to not happen it's going to happen she will sign it she's going to i think and and again this is my opinion i just think she's you know taking some time between getting to her desk Mm -hmm. making it look like boy she's really wrestling with this decision but there's too many there's there's too much powerful uh, lobbyist behind the bill and behind. To, That's a huge to, part of it. Uh, there's no question. Yes. To get past the finish line, and it will get past the finish line. Well, and it had um, bipartisan support. That's you just it. You, you don't want to be that. a governor that says right. both sides of the aisle agree on this. Overwhelming bipartisan support. But I'm not going to sign Right. It. So, what was, uh, you had Jack Whitford yesterday, right? Yes. Uh, Senator Whitford, did he bring anything that you didn't know? Was there anything that came out of the conversation that, uh, well, I didn't know that? A couple of different things really jumped out. Uh, one of the first was he mentioned when they were putting this together. This is something that Jack has worked very closely with and been a big part of kind of the things that he was working to get through. And I mentioned Chris Andrews had told me a week ago just how impressed he was with the bill when he first uh-huh. saw it. And that was one thing that they were steadfast about. Now, we talked about the other elements and different politicians trying to add amendments to it, mm-hmm. make it more difficult. They wanted to make this thing as clean, as simple as possible. They didn't want to have the hurdles. They didn't want to have the hurdles that some other states have put in there. So that was a big takeaway for me and uh, just the way this thing got done. And, and he talked about the support and the bipartisan part of it, working very closely with these Republican, with Democrats on the bill and, and coming together for something that they believe not only is going to help the state financially in terms of tax money, but something that the people want. Isn't mm. that what our politicians are supposed to do? Yeah, I'm with you, although we saw that poll in the register. When did it come out? A couple of months ago and that blew me away that more people actually oppose? Do you remember that in the register a little bit? Oh, We got a lot February. of small towns around here. That's just where it came Conservative from. Conservative small towns. Yep. I came from one of them. Indeed. I had to leave it. <laughs> uh, that, that's, that's clearly a big part of it. All right, draft tomorrow. I'm fascinated with the quarterback position because I get a sense. I still think that, that Kyler Murray is going to go one overall. I do, too. And there's a I'm, lot of, yep. a lot of um, smoke being... I'm not believing that smoke. I'm not either. But then after that, it gets fascinating because where do the other three go, right? Um, we've got Mich- Missouri, Ohio State, and Duke quarterbacks all. I don't think they're as good as the group last year, Trent. I really, don't. I think Josh Rosen, he might be the number one overall. He pick might this year. be this yeah. year, right? I mean, he was my guy coming out of it last year. As I think back uh, of the of the quarterbacks in the draft last year, he was the one I liked the most. And Baker Mayfield's going to be the guy, or maybe Darnold. We don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, but this this class is it's been panned, quite honestly, as it should be. Mm-hmm. I don't know why, but this name always sticks in my head. I think I probably brought it up to you before. Jim Drunkenmiller. Yeah. He was like the 29th. Journeyman Jim. He was the only quarterback taken that year. It was a down year. But the 49ers reached for him. It wasn't a, even a late first-round pick. But 
He's the best quarterback available, so becomes a first rounder. I think you're saying the same thing here. Was it the, so? You're, are you uh, equating that to the Christian Ponder, Cade McNown seemingly reach for quarterbacks because quarterbacks are coming off the board and we're going to overdraft? See, even those guys, I, I think, had more more than this group of quarterbacks. I mean, the Jones kid from Duke, mm. really? Mm. It, it's just he's got Cutcliffe though. That's a big thing. Well, and his maybe tutor. his upside has already been hit. But that's because fair. That's fair. Trent. How much more can he coach out of him Excellent. if he's already played for David Cutler? It's a good way to look at it. Drew Locke? Watched him a couple of times. Never blew me away. The no. bowl game was good. But, um, yes, yeah, so I'm, I'm, I stayed all four years. First round pick. You're going to spend a first round pick. In a, a one of them that. is going to fall, Trent. One of them is going to fall into the second round. Maybe, maybe more than one. Maybe a couple of them. Maybe teams will be smart. Maybe it's Locke and maybe it's Jones that find that uh, find themselves second-day picks as opposed to being there in the first. I'm not going to hold my breath, though, that NFL teams are smart as it comes to drafting quarterbacks. No, indeed. I saw Hakeem Butler in a first-round mock today. The Washington Post has the former Cyclone going number 32 to the New England Patriots. Whoa. So we'll see. We'll talk Cyclones with Alex Halstead next. Tim Yotter on the Vikings at about 10.45. Uh, Trent and I are here with you until noon. Right now, it's time to go green with KXNO and EKG Golf. Text the keyword COIN to 200-200 right now. Enter to win $1,000 cash. That's COIN to 200-200 standard message and data rate supply. We're Miller and Condon on Des Moines Sports Station, 1460. Hawkeyes, Cyclones, Panthers, and Bulldogs. Yeah, we got that covered. This is Des Moines Sports Station, 1460 KXNO. Miller and Con to Des Moines Sports Station, 1460 KXNO. Welcome back. Take you until noon. Uh, still to come this uh, hour, our look at the Vikings. They're in the spotlight today, 1045-ish, timyotter.com. Uh, let's get Cyclone Alerts. Alex Halstead in here as we dot I's and cross T's on spring football. Alex, Trent, and Ken, thanks for coming on. How are you? I'm doing good. How are you guys doing? Doing well. Let me ask you kind of, uh, let me start here. I, Brent Bloom. I put out a tweet yesterday, uh, you know, get ready, brace yourself, Cyclone fans. When the preseason uh, rankings come out as far as the Big 12, Iowa State is going to be picked potentially as high as number three. And, you know, they're always nine or some years ten, maybe eight on a good year. But you know what? I think Bloom's on to something here. That's where they finished last year, after all. I don't see a major step back. Look, I'm not going to say I know every roster like I would at some point, our depth chart once the season gets here. But on the surface, it's, uh, you know, the last week in April, that's not crazy uh, of, of a take, is it? No, it's not crazy at all. And I think here in Iowa, especially, and I think, you know, people covering the team or fans around the team, you kind of get in this little bubble of you just kind of know. You've got to know what Iowa State is, but you don't know. Maybe it's hard to see what's happening around the whole landscape of the Big 12 or whatever, especially here in April. But I think nationally this is starting to kind of be the buzz is that, you know, I think I heard Jake Trotter from ESPN, who's obviously got a different viewpoint from people here in Iowa of the Big 12 landscape, and he recently mentioned that he thinks it's a clear one-two of Oklahoma and Texas. Yep. And he said he thinks it's a clear number three of Iowa State, and then it's the next year after that, um, someone on the board mentioned that Athlon people, who obviously will put out their publication coming up, um, said the same thing. One, two, Texas, clear Iowa State, number three, and then everyone else. And I think it's still hard for me to fully grasp that that's right. kind of the case. 
but people nationally are starting to say that they think Iowa State might be the clear number three. And I think when the the poll comes out this summer, you could see Iowa State three or four or something like that in the Big Twelve preseason poll. Uh, just absolutely unbelievable what Matt Campbell's been able to do. Of that next tier, Texas, Oklahoma, top two, Iowa State three. Is there a team that you like as you've been reading through some of the other teams in the Big 12, maybe in the fourth position? Is there anybody that jumps out here? Hey, it's late April. We'll have plenty of time to talk about this throughout the summer. Anybody jump to mind, though, for you, Alex? Yeah, I think it's kind of a cop-up, but there's three teams that I think could be in the mix for three, four, five, um, including that number three spot. And I think Baylor's very intriguing. I think they've continued to get better under Matt Rule. I think Charlie Brewer is probably one of the top. Mm-hmm. I don't know, three quarterbacks in the league, and so they bring him back. Um, you got uh, Oklahoma State's going to be really good offensively. I think their big question is, does their defense improve enough to be better than they were last year? And then I think TCU, you know, their offense was really rebuilding last year, and they had a lot of uh, injuries last year on defense, um, but they were still pretty good defensively. I mean, it actually probably pretty crazy that uh, Gary Patterson was able to get them to – Six and six in that crazy, maybe not fun to watch bowl game, <laughs> but uh, you know those three teams I think stick out as kind of that next tier or teams that could really fight with Iowa State in there. I'm with you wholeheartedly on uh, on Baylor. I think that they're going to be a factor this yeah. year. Well, as Trent said, we got a lot of time to talk about that, but it just kind of struck me. It was the first time I'd seen it and wanted to bring it up with you, and I think Bloom's right on the money that uh, you, there, there's a really strong potential of seeing that. So let's get your uh, biggest uh, you know takeaways from the 15 practices. Not that you were able to see them, but you had plenty of opportunities to talk to coaches. What was your biggest takeaway from uh, the spring that has now concluded football-wise, Alex? Well, the thing I thought was most interesting, and you know, they kind of went through the gauntlet of we met with every coach, we met with players from every position group, and as you kind of go through those interviews, there's times when a coach or a player will say something that's like, okay, I can maybe start to put this into my depth chart projection or stuff. They don't give us a depth chart until July. They don't always reveal a ton. We saw two hours of one practice, so you just kind of have to kind of listen for little nuggets here and there, and um, I think the thing that stood out to me the most as we talked to different position groups offensively was the return of Tom Manning, and it's talked about, obviously, because he's coming back from the NFL. He's obviously, you know, bringing back new ideas. I don't think we're going to see this till the season starts and really fully grasp it, but the running backs came through, and they talked about how, you know, they want to, you know, supposedly pass to them a little bit more out of the backfield or utilize their skill sets a little bit differently. The tight ends came through, and we heard more about maybe two flexed out wide at the same time or two attached or or things like that. And last year they did use double tights 40% of the time. So there was talk about that. There was talk about um, them starting to work in design quarterback runs. So there's just different little wrinkles that Manning supposedly is bringing back. They're changing some terminology. But until we actually see it, it's hard to know like if this stuff's going to happen. But I think that was one of the most interesting storylines is how much could the offensive identity change now with some new ideas and a full offseason to, for the first time, develop an offense around Brock Purdy. Alex really enjoyed your uh, summer look-ahead depth chart that you came out with. And one thing that jumped out to me, something that I had missed, Iowa State still in the running for a wide receiver, a grad transfer from Arkansas, LaMichael Petway. Can you tell us the latest and update on him and what kind of player, where he would fit in that wide receiver group that certainly a lot of names there vying for playing time? Yeah, there were a couple names. We It's been so long, and we talk almost weekly, so it, it's been a while. But you know, back early in the winter, we talked about Lawrence Cager, a grad yep. transfer from Miami. Obviously, he ended up at Georgia. Um, but the other guy that had been in the mix really really at, since the same time is Michael Petway from Arkansas. And 
He's shorter than Cager. Cager was a six foot five target, um, kind of that X receiver position. Uh, Petway is a six foot two target, could probably play outside, but can also play their Z position. And uh, he's a guy that last year was the leading receiver at Arkansas. Um, that was not a very good team. I think they won two games, but he did catch 30 passes for almost 500 yards and several touchdowns at Arkansas. So it's an experienced body. He's someone that Iowa State remains in the mix for. Um, he's been to Auburn and um, some different schools. Uh, he's going to graduate next month, and then I think we're going to know more about that situation. But I do think Iowa State is very much in the mix for him. So um, that would alleviate some of the concerns at receiver. I don't think it's a big concern in terms of they think they've got a lot of talent, and Joe Skates and Sean Shaw and some different guys. But outside of Creek Milton and DeSante Jones, we just don't know who really is the clear three. And if Petway, you know, picked Iowa State and he ended up in Ames and, you know, came along quickly, that would alleviate some of the veteran worries where at least you got somebody who's proven something at the SEC level. Uh, Alex Halstead from uh, CycloneAlert.com, part of 24-7 Sports, is with Miller and Condon on 1460 KXNO. Well, it's clearly Brock Purdy's team. How difficult is it going to be to make Real Mitchell happy? Obviously, you don't want to see an injury, uh, but he's, he's, he's behind uh, a guy that's still got, what, three years of eligibility left to play. Real Mitchell, how can they make him happy? Yeah, that's the toughest thing really across college football anymore, especially at the quarterback position. You see programs bringing a, a phenom freshman, and you see other guys transfer. It happened last year at Clemson when it became clear Trevor Lawrence was the guy. Mm-hmm. I think they got down to like two scholarship quarterbacks. And it even started happening in Iowa State where, you know, Zeb Noland and Devin Moore left because they kind of saw the outlook for Purdy. And it's probably one of the more difficult tasks for, I think, coaches in general because when you want to get that guy that becomes your program centerpiece, but it it also becomes harder because some guys want to go play. And I think Mitchell's handled it really well. I think there's um, one positive aspect for him is, one, he's the number two quarterback right now, but two, he is a dynamic player that we saw last year. They already tried to get him involved. We didn't see it on the field, but behind the scenes, they were working on a blaze package that utilizes his skill set. We saw him in two plays in the Alamo Bowl. I actually just tried to focus him in as a quarterback to make sure that he's ready since he is one snap away. But I think that's one way to continue to get him involved in the game is to, to utilize that package or do different things. And Campbell has brought in a second quarterback at times to utilize some of that skill set uh, back at Toledo or with dual landing at Iowa State. And I think that's one way to kind of keep him involved and keep him engaged, even if Brock Purdy's kind of the clear guy going forward. Alex, we have 20 seconds left. Any basketball news percolating? Well, Iowa State's got a top 100 prospect that will wrap up the visit today, Severe Wheeler. Um, it could could come down to Georgia and uh, Iowa State for him, but there's a couple other high school prospects. There's a couple other transfers, so a lot happening right now for Iowa State. They've got three scholarships to try to fill in the coming weeks. Good stuff. We will talk about it in the coming weeks. Thank you, Alex. Appreciate you coming on. Yep. Yep, thanks, guys. Good info. Alex Halstead, CycloneAlert.com. That Wheeler's a fun player. He's like 5'9". He? Lightning quick. Is he? I, I hope they get him. Just because I, I love the little guy. Uh, and a high school kid? Yes, yep. Top 100. He was committed to Texas A&M and Billy Kennedy. Ah, so he reopened it. Huh? Reopened it up. Interesting. We'll take a timeout. Tim Yotters are going to update us on the Vikings. What will they do? Offensive linemen, first, second, third picks? We'll see. Uh, Tim Yotter Viking update is next on Miller & Condon, 1460. It's 24-hour sports, morning, noon, and night. You're on 1460 KXNO. 
back. Appreciate Alex Halstead uh, coming on uh, 24-7 Sports. You know what? Let's stick with the 247 Sports, shall we? Tim Yotter, VikingUpdate.com. He joins us as the Vikings. We take a look at their schedule and uh, potential uh, what's going to happen tomorrow and then into the weekend as the draft is upon it. Tim, uh, Trenton, Ken, thanks for coming on. Tim Yotter, how are you? I'm doing well. How are you guys? Doing pretty well. We'll get to the schedule in a second, Tim. It seems like, you know, I'm a, I'm a mock draft junkie, if you will, as we get closer to this thing. Boy, it's hard to find a mock draft that doesn't have the Vikings uh, taking an offensive lineman, depending on who is there, obviously. But that seems to be the direction that they're going to focus on. You being around them as much as you are, is that kind of the whispers you're picking up on? Do you expect them to take offensive linemen when their pick comes up tomorrow? Well, I mean, there, there's certainly a lot of pressure from the, the public, the fans that, you know, have been crying about uh, how, how poor the offensive line has been the past couple of years. So I, I completely get that pressure. I know the Vikings get, the, get a feel for that outside pressure as well. Um, and I think it's just really going to depend on, on who is there. Um, in my mind, there are three tackles that are – are you know values at that pick jonah williams mm-hmm. juan taylor andre dillard and each of them are very different in my mind uh taylor was a right tackle last year kind of a, a squatty bulky guy that i don't necessarily think can can play left tackle i think he's probably better in a scheme that has um you know guys drive blocking on on a running scheme and the vikings are going to be running more outside zone so i'm not 100% sure that he's a great fit for what they want to run. Andre Dillard is super athletic, uh, very good in pass protection, um, but doesn't have a ton of, of uh, experience run blocking at Washington State. So, um, you know, if the Vikings are convinced that his athleticism fits what they want to do running the, the ball, he would be uh, a good fit. It's just that he doesn't have a lot of experience doing that. And to me, Jonah Williams is, is the most polished guy, the safest pick that they can take, uh, a left tackle who handled a lot of the best talent uh, that will be coming out in this draft. So those are the three tackles that I think make a lot of sense for them. Interior guys, Cody Ford could play guard or tackle, um, and Garrett Bradbury is a really athletic center that could also play guard. Um, and I, you know, I think he fits a lot of what they want to do with their offensive linemen, getting out in space uh, and being able to cut block defenders. So I think there are, you know, five solid options for them at that pick, but a lot of it's going to depend on what happens at the 17 picks before them. Tim, one of my favorite quotes that I've seen in a long time was uh, Rick Spielman talked to the media the other day, and he uh, relayed that his wife told him, quote, if you draft another corner in the first round, don't come home. Is that what she said? <laughs> even, even Rick Spiel's wife, sick of the cornerbacks, get an offensive lineman, right? <laughs> yeah, well, and it's funny, too, because, you know, Mike Zimmer had, uh, he, he has certainly felt that, and he made it clear at the uh, scouting combine a couple months ago that, uh, you know, everybody is, it has been on him about how many cornerbacks he's picked, but he said last year uh, when the Vikings got on the clock with their pick, um, you know, there, there was an offensive lineman that a lot of people really liked. Will Hernandez went to the Giants, but he said he didn't really fit what they wanted to do, um, you know, with their offensive lineman. And it was Spielman who actually came up to Zimmer and said, you know, if Mike Hughes is there, 
what do you think about him? Well, I think we should take him. And, uh, you know, Zimmer wasn't going to decline that. But, um, you know, they both know that there is uh, a ton of angst in the their fan base that says, hey, we have to get this offensive line fixed. And I think they understand that as well. You know, Tim, I've also seen, at least earlier in the process, uh, a tight end um, come up and, on some mocks. And we don't think there's two Hawks, obviously, as you well know, that are going to get drafted in the first round tomorrow. We believe Hawkinson will be gone. But what about a guy like Noah Fant? If he's there at 18, we know Rudolph's still there and he's still you know, got a few years ahead of him. But Noah Fant could be a special player at that position. Might they be enticed to take a tight end if indeed Fant is still there? I, I think it's a possibility. Um, I think Hawkinson fits better with what they want to do. I think he he's better as a, a cut blocker. Uh, I think he he's better blocking in space than, than Fant, at least in in the film that I watched of those guys. Um, the the really interesting thing to me, looking at the Vikings roster and their needs, is that as you said, I think Kyle Rudolph has you know three four good years left in, in the NFL and. And he is very cognizant that some people are sort of writing him off, thinking he's been around so long that he's getting old. Um, but he is in the final year of his contract, and he he has made it really clear that he is willing to restructure his contract, yet the Vikings, as of last week, had not approached him about doing that, and they need the cap space to even sign their their draft class. So... They may be waiting to to see what happens with their draft class before they make a decision on on Rudolph's um, Rudolph's contract. So if if they do not come away with one of those two, Fant or Hawkinson, in the first round, um, then maybe they say, okay, Rudolph's going to be here for uh, three four years. Let's redo his contract, add some years at the end of it, and let's lower his cap number this year so we can we can sign our draft class. If they do come away with Hawkinson uh, or Fant, then you know maybe they they say okay, uh, perhaps we can just lower the contract without adding so many years to the end of it. So it, it'll be interesting to see what happens, but I do think that they they would benefit with an athletic tight end added to this roster. Tim, you mentioned uh, about the running back position seeing more outside zone and what they want to do with the offensive scheme. Dalvin Cook is obviously there, uh, coming off a, an injury the season previous. A very talented guy, but he needs some help. Do you think they're going to be looking? And Murray's gone. Yeah, at at a cont- yeah. at somebody that's also good at the zone, outside zone type of running style, or maybe more of a complementary piece, somebody that does some things differently than Dalvin Cook. Um, it's a good question. I, you know, they don't really have a a, a big goal line back now with with their short yardage back with Latavius Murray gone. So I think that that could be something they look at, but I, I think more likely they would like to find somebody that has similar skill sets, a guy that can really catch the ball out of the backfield. I know that play action is something they want to incorporate a lot more this year. It's something that Kirk Cousins is good at, and I think they should try to accentuate the strengths, and that's one of them. Um, you know, I don't think that they're going to be going after a running back in the first three, four rounds. Um, you know, they don't have a fourth round pick. And I, I think of their first three picks, you, know, you probably look at at least one, maybe two offensive linemen, and then perhaps a, a defensive tackle, a three technique that can do what Sheldon Richardson did last year. Uh, but I, I think it's more of a, you know, fifth round or later type of pick that they would make that, that would be uh, sort of, 
a, a complimentary uh, back to some of the similar skill sets that, that Cook has. Uh, Tim Yotter, VikingUpdate.com is our guest. Tim, let's take a quick look at the schedule. Uh, I like the fact that you do get back-to-back home games to finish things out. The Packers, uh, that's a Monday night game, and then come back with the Bears on the 29th. Uh, when the schedule came out, uh, give us a couple of your talking points when you saw it for the first time. Well, I think uh, the, they got a, a good schedule in that, uh, you know, the, I'll, I'll kind of go the reverse of what you did. Looking at the, the start of the schedule, you know, two potential cold-weather games now turn into uh, September games at Green Bay in Week 2 and at Chicago mm. in Week 4. Yeah. So I think that helps them out a little bit. They don't have to play in really cold temperatures late in the season. And then uh, the other thing that stood out was all the primetime games in the second half of the season uh, where you get the, the Redskins on a Thursday night in Week 8, um, then Week 10 at Dallas, a uh, Sunday night game at Seattle, a Monday night game, and uh, a su- another Sunday night game at Los Angeles, uh, the Chargers. And so, you know, all the, the primetime games um, basically in the second half of the schedule, and then the other thing that stood out was 11 straight weeks of the regular season before they get their bye. It's mm. a really late bye week, but, you know, it's nice that it's during Thanksgiving week. But, uh, you know, it, it is a, a massive grind going from training camp in late July to preseason in August and then having 11 straight games before you get your bye. So it, it's going to take some some good uh schedule awareness by Mike Zimmer to make sure he doesn't wear down his his players too much early. Yeah, that must be the latest buy on the schedule, right? You I would, would think, think so. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. yeah. Three out I mean, of... It, it's, it's just a, a really late time of the yeah. year to have it, and uh, you know, it'll be nice if they are in the playoff hunt to, to get a rest and then go five weeks to get into the playoffs at the end of the season, but um, you know, getting to that point, it players are definitely going to be worn down by you know week eight through 11 you know some primetime games were coming out and, and no surprise put it in pen anymore bears vig- visiting u.s bank to finish the season they, they just have that locked in now don't they hmm. yeah pretty much i mean it is locked in that they're that it's uh you know divisional Division, games yeah. to, to end the season but yeah the bears i think it's at least three years in a row now that they've ended with the bears and Usually it seems to be at, uh, at, at U.S. Bank. Imagine that, boy. Yeah. Another break for those Mike. <laughs> I'm uh, just joking. What's Amir Abdullah got left, do you think? That's a good question. Um, you know, he, he got here so late last year during the season that I think it was kind of difficult for him to, to pick up everything that was asked of him. And then the way that, that uh, you know, John DiFilippo, when he was a coordinator, was running the offense, it really didn't call for a great deal of, of run plays. And so I, I, I don't think Abdullah really got super comfortable with what was asked of him. So I think it should help that he has a, a full off season. Um, you know, I, I think it'll be interesting to see if with Marcus Sherrill's gone now, if Abdullah gets a, a possibility as a punt returner, maybe a kick returner as well, depending on, you know, how Mike Hughes is used, how, how quickly he's available coming off of the ACL injury. So I, I think there are several different, um, you know, non-full-time roles that Abdullah can play. Uh, I'm just not sure how much he's going to be used uh, as a running back. That, it's going to be really interesting to see. Personally, 
I like a, a, an undrafted free agent they had last year, Mike Boone, who had a really yes. good training camp yep. the preseason, but um, you know just didn't get a chance during the regular season. So it'll be curious to see if, if he gets involved and, and maybe can be that complimentary back to Dalvin Cook. Last thing for me for you, Tim, and, and it deals with retirement. Not a player retirement, but Scott Studwell, an absolute stud. I mean, mm-hmm. it goes without saying what he meant to that defense and some of the great defenses throughout the 80s and early 90s. Him being right in the middle of it. Had been with the Vikings for a long time. I think, what, 42 years as a player and then yeah. a scout with the team and announces his retirement as he's moving on. But what a career, not just on the field, but off of it. Yeah, and, you know, it's it, it's so unique that, you know, he, he played so long as, as their middle linebacker, was you know, their leading leading tackler, um, you know, for career and for many, many seasons as well. Um, and just to be able to transition from player right into the front office and, and spend 42 years, as you mentioned, with one franchise is amazing. Um, and, you know, he, he handled it well when, when he was looking to, to get the promotion that Rick Spielman eventually got as kind of their head of personnel. Um, and he relayed the story that, you know, Ziggy Wilf um, talked to him and was asking him questions about Spielman. And, uh, and Studwell said, look, what do you want me to tell you? You're, you're, you, you're asking me about a guy who's going for the same job I am, but I have nothing bad to say about him. So it, it was, uh, you know, it was a very emotional, especially from Spielman. You could tell how much that Studwell meant to him during, during their time together. Um, you know, whether that was helping develop draft boards or Spielman ultimately in charge of draft boards, but you know, Studwell's meant an awful lot to, to this organization with all the time he's put in. Uh, the Minnesota Vikings play here all season long on Des Moines Sports Station 1460 KXNO. Uh, Tim Yotter, dot com, part of 24-7 Sports. Tim, thank you as always. Appreciate you coming on. Okay, sounds good, guys. Good to talk to you. Uh, Tim Yotter, Viking Update. Did you see, maybe I meant to bring this up with you last week, hmm. uh, former Northern Iowa Panther Scott Schulte, is that how you say his name? Car- uh, uh, Carter Schulte. Carter Schulte. Scott Studwell, Carter Schulte. Yeah. He's a Viking. Yes. Uh, and he was one of the, you know, there were, there were more guys out of the AAF mm-hmm. that signed at least uh, an opportunity to be given an opportunity in the NFL than maybe I thought that there would be. So, uh, speaking kind of on those same lines, I had an opportunity to talk with Akron Wadley a couple of weeks back for a Hawkeye podcast mm-hmm. I do yep. with Hawkeye Heaven. And Akron mentioned he hadn't had a team yet, but he'd been, his agent was talking to a few teams. But he said to us, his favorite team growing up in New Jersey, was the Minnesota Vikings. Hmm. Need another piece. They well, need a, they're looking running back, and they're going to draft, I think. They got a lot, what, I think four picks in the fifth, sixth, seventh round. Yeah, they... Take a flyer on a guy. I don't think they have a fifth, but they've Maybe got... You know, they, two in right. the six, something like that. Yep, I believe you're right. See a flyer there. Akron Wadley. I'd like to see him in the purple and gold. There you go. First, second, third, fourth. Nothing in the fifth. Two in the sixth, two in the seventh. Two in the sixth, two in the seventh. Yeah, there's your Vikings draft. All right, we'll come back. 11 o'clock hour is next. Jordan Burnfield going to help us with last night. Uh, On the uh, the Cubs, we'll get the latest on the Bears as well. Uh, Jordan coming up, and then Mark Moorhouse, who spent some time with both coordinators, Ference and Parker, yesterday. Uh, So we'll get a recap of what went uh, on uh, over in Iowa City with Mark Moorhouse from the Cedar Rapids Gazette. Trent and I until noon. It's Miller and Condon on Des Moines Sports Station, 1460 KXNO.